Hi, I'm Alicia Abendroth, and this is Tridge Agri Insider, your agri food for thought podcast where we talk about anything and everything agri food supply chain. Brought to you by Tridge. Meet Dr. Dorothy Schultz of Schwering, a true agriculture enthusiast since birth. Dr. Dorothy's lifelong journey has revolved around agriculture, constantly seeking new and innovative ways to support Germany's farming community. On today's episode of Agri Insider, stay tuned for insights on German agriculture, agri e-commerce, and even the buzz around insect farming. Hi, Dr. Dorothy Schulze-Schwering. It's very nice to have you with us today on Agri Insider. Yeah, thank you for uh, inviting me. I'm very happy to be here to talk to you, to have international audience. And um, yeah, I want to uh, spot some light on German agriculture and looking forward to our yeah, podcast and talk. Wonderful. So to start, let's just kind of give a, a landscape of who you are. Um, maybe you could just tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, well, um, my name, you always introduced me. So I'm Dr. Dorothy Schulze-Schwering. I am 32 years old. I'm from uh, Germany in the western part of Germany in uh, North Rhine-Westphalia. And I have a farming background. Uh, so I grew up on a farm in North Rhine-Westphalia with uh, yeah, boarding horses. So uh, horses, we give uh, accommodation. And until 2016, we also had um, pig farming as a work sharing system. So uh, we got the pregnant sows who then farrowed and the fattening took place on another farm. And well, then I did my A-levels and uh, straight after that, I went uh, for agricultural studying. And um, yeah, after my master's and also after my PhD, I'm now the innovation manager of the Chamber of Agriculture of North Rhine-Westphalia. And uh, I'm really uh, looking forward to this very interesting and yeah, innovative kind of job, uh, especially in our agri-food uh, industry. Wonderful. Um, so you've built an entire lifelong career in agriculture. I mean, not, not even just built, you were born into this business. So I, I would say, you know, I like to ask my guests sometimes, did you find agriculture? Did agriculture find you? Uh, I mean, in this case, I don't even know if that question is relevant since um, it's kind of your birthright at this point, right? Um, so let's go back into that a bit more, uh, you know. You grew up on a farm, you uh, have worked in agriculture your entire career, you studied this, you did your PhD. Um, maybe give us a bit more insight into those early journeys or, or um, kind of when you decided to work in agriculture, not just born into it, but work in it. Oh, well, yeah, uh, it's really like I, I, I born into it uh, because, yeah, I grew up on a farm and um, I had really like a childhood, like like picture book, so to speak. Uh, so I have three older siblings and we never flew on summer vacation. Instead, we spent our whole summer vacation uh, on the farm harvesting and yeah, looking after the horses and pigs and if you want so, it's really like a childhood 
even if it sounds a bit romantic, like Astrid Lindgren's, in German we call it Bullabü, I guess the English title is Children of Noisy Village. Um, <laughs> so it's really a bit like this. Um, and yeah, even as a child, I was always outside, always outside in the uh, fields, on the farm. And it was somehow clear to me that I wanted to do something close to agriculture, close to nature. And of course, as a very young uh, girl, I also wanted to get a veterinarian um, before I wanted to get a farmer, so a real practicing farmer. And um, after my A-levels, this was really like uh, I got into economics, into figures and numbers. And then I wanted to combine those two passions. So for economic questions as well as um, yeah, agricultural passion. And then I decided to um, study agricultural science. And um, yeah, of course, I was sometimes uh, struggling which way I should go, but I never considered to go into another industry. So that was completely clear to me. And um, I guess my certainty to really stick to it uh, also grow over time because I had to take on responsibility on our farm very early at a very early age. Um, so I was responsible for uh, yeah, some, some things, some smaller things in the beginning. And later on, I did all the customer care and all the um, yeah, renting stuff. And I really loved that. So that was why I was always sure to be uh, right in this industry and never want to go somewhere else. I love that. Um, you know, I hear two different stories. Sometimes people want to stay in this industry at all costs and some want to leave it, leave it at all costs, right? It, it kind of, I think it goes both ways. Um, but it's exciting to hear that you grew up in the business and then decided to make this your education and follow it um, throughout your entire career. So what exactly is your family business? You said it, it used to be uh, involved in animal or it is involved in animal husbandry, um, but horses and pigs. Is, can you maybe just tell us a bit more about what, what you do? Yeah, it was uh, until 2016, it was uh, the main focus on uh, pig farming. So as this work sharing system where we got uh, um, pregnant sows, they are uh, farrowed at our farm. And after uh, a few weeks, uh, they went to fattening to another farm. So um, the whole keeping on that you know, as a family, everyone had to, to jump in mm -hmm. and had to give a hand uh, while frustration and all that stuff, injections. Um, and the other part is um, the horses. So um, people as you and me can stable their horses at our farm. So they come and just do riding and um, some, some brushing. But uh, we do all the caring stuff like feeding, uh, mucking out and bringing them on the fields and all that stuff. And uh, the horsing business is, of course, a business that is um, 
yeah, very close to humans. So mm -hmm. you also have to interact to see um, how the horses are, how the people are. And I'm really like the girl in between, between the farming stuff that needs to be done and uh, the people uh, that are coming to us um, asking, can you may look after our horse because I'm on vacation or whatever. Um, so that's really the whole customer caring story was then uh, my responsibility. So that's really interesting. You talked about um, bringing the human element of the farming into your family business. And I think that is a, probably a big difference between being in the uh, pig farming uh, business is it's very B2B, but a lot of what you're describing is almost like B2C, right? It's uh, right. people coming to you with the horses, looking for stables, looking for uh, care, right? It's a lot of that personal touch. Can, can I trust you with my horse, right? It's a very different line of business, um, probably to the to the pig farming. Um, and it also, I think, is quite interesting because it highlights this experience that you have with transformation. So, I mean, you said you're 32 years old. How old were you when the business then made that switch? Um, yeah, it's now, uh, well, I think when it really turned, it's now, what do we have now? Uh, 2010. Yeah, it was nearly 20, 20, uh, 3, 24, I guess I was uh, when our, yeah. So I was 23, 24 when we decided not to go on with uh, pig farming and just keep horsing. Um, and well, that was also a decision, of course, we made as family uh, because we had just uh, 42 places where sows could uh, farrow. So that is not that much compared to um, yeah, other farms who have much more space um, and much more pigs. So we have really to decide whether to grow or to do something else. And we where my mother and my uh, father got good opportunities. Um, so my father stood to the horses and my mother uh, then got a good job offer very close to agriculture. So that was um, yeah, a good deal to us. Yeah, what it was like going through a transition like that. Because um, it's big for a family to do something like that. Yeah, of course. So um, it was for us um, a, a whole um, yeah, development, so to speak. So on the first hand, we had to do some um, yeah, converting um, within the stable. So uh, we have the animal, animal welfare issues. So we got the first um, improvements in the stables. Um, of course, it were some small steps uh, that was, we are trying to do that. And uh, after a while, we noticed that we are a small number in the system because we all uh, we only have um, yeah, a small number of uh, sows and, of course, a lot of work to do. And uh, compared to other farms, we are the smaller one. And then we had to decide, well, do we want to go um, on with uh, pig farming? Do we want to grow? Or do we want to um, take the opportunity we got, uh, or my, my mother got, uh, and uh, yeah, switch to um, to the industry to go um, and working um, yeah, external. 
And um, then we decided to do that um, because otherwise we had to grow and we didn't want to grow. And I decided I don't want to take over um, the pig farming business. Um, and my siblings were also not that, yeah, looking forward to go on with uh, pig farming. And um, it's also because of the whole industry uh, that uh, changed and the requirements that changed and the planning insecurities. So uh, would it be the same if we say yes now? Uh, and uh, converting our stable is it still um, okay in three years from now? Um, so that was one uh, part of the decision tree we had uh, when we decided not to go on with pig farming. Amazing. No, and I appreciate you you kind of sharing those insights because I think, and it's a theme that we're going to get into with some of the next questions and later in the podcast. I think this, you know, being creative, weighing your options, you know, as a family business, having to diversify and look at alternatives, you know, that's something you're doing every day. And, and I, and it's, it's interesting that, you know, connecting those dots between your personal experience and, and some of what you do today, but I'll, we'll get to that down the road. Um, I just have to, to add that uh, because it's really like a family decision. Uh, there are always families behind um, who have passion for what they, what they are doing. And it was also hard for us to somehow, um, take this decision but on the other hand we now um are looking forward for example to christmas because no one has to run into the uh pixie you know no one has to run to look after the the sows and uh that is some something we now also enjoy of course it was a good time to have um those pigs on the farm and sometimes they are missing but on the other hand we have other opportunities now and they are also great to have wonderful so how far are you from this business are you in the same town still um nearly so i'm working in Münster. that is about 50 kilometers from uh, our farm wonderful so it's, it's, cool. it's, it's still some re one region it's still north Rhine-Westphalia. okay cool very, very, very good. And, 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 and I agree with what you said about the hard decisions. I think these are, you know, agriculture is a lifestyle and, you know, breaking away from something that you've built into your family identity and, um, you know, making a decision to reinvent yourself. It's, it's not easy. So I, I tip my hat to your family and to your, your business for, for making that change. Focusing a little bit more on your academics. So you were in higher education for eight years. You achieved a doctorate in agribusiness. Very, very impressive. Um, you've been in this agri space your entire life. Um, you know, you talked about some of the passions that move you. Could you share a little bit more? And now we can get a bit high level too with, you know, what, what makes you excited to get up in the morning today? Oh, well, a good question. <laughs> um, agriculture is an industry that never sleeps. Uh, it's always needed and it's really characterized by its enormous innovative power. And that's why I'm uh, happy to be in there and enjoying working within agriculture. 
And in particular, um, having this job as an innovation manager, which makes me serious about the future, I'm so often fascinated or stunning about what our industry achieves and um, I'm happy to see um, how innovative our farms are, our producers are, and the agri-food industry in total is very innovative. And uh, while yet together, we are working for agricultural um, of today and tomorrow. And um, that was always like um, pushing me to, to really uh, stick to the industry. And um, nearly everyone is asking me why I decided to go uh, to do a doctorate. Um, and well, I have three main reasons, so to speak. Uh, one is my passion for the topic. Um, I have some kind of a special history. Uh, if we look at my bachelor degree in 2015, my master degree in 2017, and uh, my uh, PhD I finished in 2021. And all those three um, theses were um, about agricultural e-commerce. I started with looking at um, how uh, the feed industry is going um, to deal with e-commerce. Then I looked at it on a broader perspective, so um, agricultural inputs in total. And later on, I also had this topic um, in my uh, yeah, uh, doctoral thesis and in my PhD. And it was always like fascinating me how a traditional sector is going to change by digital sales channels, um, how very established, long established uh, companies are reacting on those new traditional channels, uh, new uh, sales channels, sorry, and um, how the industry is really um, open for this change if the mindset is already there. So that was my passion for the topic to go on with agriculture e-commerce. And then of course the market, um, at the point uh, when I started my bachelor thesis, um, there were plenty of startups that yeah, pushed or jumped out of the ground um, and jumped into the traditional agricultural business. Um, some of them were external players, so nothing to do with agriculture. And they brought, um, yeah, like unrest or new um, flavor into the industry. And online agricultural uh, trade received um, a very huge interest um, from different players. And um, then I did my master thesis on the general topic. So regardless of uh, the type of agricultural input, and I got. Um, many calls afterhand uh, from startups, from established companies who wanted to um, have a talk wow. about uh, my uh, results. They want to discuss my results and uh, how they are um, yeah, planning their sales channels. And I was really like happy to to see that my work I did um, is so of so much interest. And of course, I was then a bit like, oh, well, the market is looking for uh, answers. Uh, they have many questions. 
and I can answer just a small amount of questions. And I want to do, um, I want to go on. I want to answer more questions. And I know, uh, or I knew that no one else was uh, searching uh, to this topic at that point of time. So uh, then I decided, well, um, I'm looking for a PhD supervisor and go on uh, and yeah, try to answer those open questions of the industry. Mm -hmm. And well, of course, I have to say, um, I had I decided against a very good job offer in wow. agricultural trade. Um, and I went for a PhD without knowing how to finance my PhD. So I had also to look for funding um, to scholarships um, so that I can finance my PhD. Um, but I noticed uh, that the market interest is there and I have to go for that. Otherwise, it's a dynamic field of uh, business and of research. Uh, and otherwise, another one would take on uh, with my topic. That's why I wanted to stick to that. Uh, no one else should go <laughs> with my uh, field of research. And I uh, went on with that. And of course, the third reason was of course the critics uh, as well so mm -hmm. of course some of them or some of the people i met were like oh well she's doing out a doctorate um right and i often uh, felt um yeah a bit, a bit like they are smiling on me um with eyes rolling according to uh the motto now she's the little one is going uh, for a doctorate and she will come to sense uh, very soon and then i was okay well um now i go um directly to go for a doctorate because um well i i know i can do it um yes we can yes i can and then i was very motivated to to go on with this very interesting topic and very relevant topic. I love that story. I don't think there's a lot of people in the world who would turn down a job offer after having already done a bachelor's and a master's to then go back to education because they see an opportunity and are doing this for their fellow people or, or fellow colleagues in the marketplace, right? I mean, you were literally responding to market signals. I mean, not even just market signals, conversations, people reaching out to you saying, you know, hey, Dorothy, what is this e-commerce? What kind of data are you finding? We need to know more because this is the future. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that shows a lot about you as a person to be willing to walk away from a job opportunity and pursue this research question for um you know a phd uh, yeah it just it shows me your dedication to to the industry really um so all the critics should uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i love that um so i did do some research also on on you and kind of what you what you worked on and i saw that for your phd your dissertation was on e-commerce and sales management in agribusiness. Um, so, you know, here at Tridge, we also focus on e-commerce and kind of digitalizing the way agriculture um, trades, connects, works with each other. 
so I think there's a lot of parallels between probably your findings and what we find here at Tridge or what we're trying to do at Tridge. Um, for the audience, I'd, I'd love to hear some of the kind of key takeaways from your dissertation on e-commerce and agribusiness. Yeah, well, um, of course, some of my results are somewhat old now because it's a very dynamic industry and uh, some of the studies are from 2017, so they are not that uh, brand new, but I know there's not much uh, of newer research done so far. Um, and some startups from the very beginning uh, are now insolvent. So um, the business and the industry of e-commerce and agriculture has already changed. But in summary, I can say um, the joy of experimenting uh, was great among German farmers. So the share of farmers who once tested e-commerce uh, for um, their agricultural business purposes was about 50%. Wow. And hence, it is not um, that the current um, penetration rate of agriculture is very low. But uh, if we keep in mind the figure um, of 50% once tested, we know that's not about uh, the competence uh, because every one of us knows uh, online shopping uh, from the private uh, business. Uh, everyone is online nearly each day and the same uh, is for farmers, they are online. They are doing online uh, shopping in the private uh, so they have the competence. Um, another interesting finding was that stationary devices are favored um, against uh, mobile devices. So hmm. the stationary computer was um, yeah, more used uh, than the mobile phone, probably because um, you have to make orders not in between, more in series. And of course, you have a bigger screen, you can really carefully go through it. Um, but in total, and really the key findings, and it's not surprising, is uh, e-commerce and agriculture is absolutely product dependent. Mm. So uh, the more standardized um, a product is, the better it is suited for online agricultural sales. Because um, if we have capital intensive goods or bulk goods that we need to chip in big bags, or if we have products that are very um, intensive in explanations, uh, then they're not that suited, they're not that marned by farmers because um, there's so much insecurities in behind and they need to, to talk to someone to get advice, to get consultation, to go uh, for or against a certain product. Um, in total, we had about yeah, nearly 80% that are producing regular um, farm inputs. But here we have to, to insert the but, um, because uh, this is, of course, just for the highly standardized products. So like uh, daily products that we use mm -hmm. uh, in everyday life or um, maintenance products for the housing. Uh, cleaning material and all that stuff. They are um, more regularly um, shopped uh, on the internet. 
And for example, uh, for feedstuff, for fertilizers, or for seeds, it was uh, less than 5% um, on a regular basis. So this is, there's a difference. Um, and on the other hand, the telephone, the mobile phone is a really like the benchmark. So if I call my personal advisor, Tom, uh, I have it, my order done within two minutes. You know, uh, in the case of errors, Tom is there. Tom is, uh, I can go on my phone and reach out to Tom and he is um, yeah, supporting me with uh, deleting the error. And the product arrangement is also uh, very relevant. So uh, what we noticed is that um, farmers also compare uh, how the job is um, yeah, sorted or the products are arranged during uh, within the shop. Oh, um, it, it's a bit like if you go in your supermarket every day, you know where you can find what. Right. And it's the same when you go uh, into an online shop, you want to have a very, very good uh, filtering um, option. And if you have uh, a filter that is yeah useless or you think, well, how do I get there? The filter is really not, it makes no sense. So the farmer would say, okay, well, they don't have a clue of what they are doing. We're not going to buy here anymore. So it was also quite interesting to that. And um, yeah, concluding, we can say for Germany, um, it is really like a people's business. Um, so agricultural input trade is a people's business, uh, which is hard to transfer to digital channels. And if you want to transfer it to digital, uh, it's mainly done for highly standardized products or products that you can, where you have a repurchase and uh, within a low total shopping cart. Now that's right. another point. Um, if you buy just one small thing with a low amount of money, compare it to your, to your total yearly shopping chart, then the percentage um, which is done online is very, very low compared to the bulk products, to the high involvement products um, that are bought uh, on stationary level. That's really interesting. So there's like a threshold, uh, a certain level that people are willing to to buy online, uh, like consumers buy, you know, glassware or kitchen goods, whatever online. But when it comes to things in a certain price category, at the end of the day, these farmers are still average consumers in their other life, right? Um, they don't feel comfortable purchasing high value products online. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it's like that because uh, imagine you are buying a feedstuff, you know, it's not like an economic um, issue behind. You also have the animal and the animal welfare. And if you have some diseases or uh, whatever, some, some things going on on the farm, you have to react on that uh, by rearranging um, yeah, the, the, the food or the feed, sorry. And uh, this is online nearly not possible because you are calculating um, on a different way on more, you know, like 
I'm calling Tom and call, Tom is uh, calculating with me as uh, a new feed recipe. Right, right. No, and I and I know from my own personal experience as well that the uh, human element in purchasing agricultural products is extremely valued in agriculture. Do you think in your personal opinion that that personal touch will ever become less relevant, especially as we move into a more, you know, digitalized era of, I guess, humankind even, right? Not just agriculture alone, but, you know, we're going through a lot of digital revolution. Uh, I would say since 2020, it's changed a lot, even the landscape in the last three years. Do you think that personal element will ever go away in agriculture? Um, digitalization is really a huge topic and it is of course uh, a huge part of agriculture as well. We see that on, on the fields and stables, uh, everywhere is digitalization. Uh, we have um, big data um, coming up. Um, but with the integration of artificial intelligence into farm management systems, there might be uh, a new way or a new form of e-commerce um, in a few years. But um, it will be interesting to see how much autonomy farmers are willing to give up. Um, so, of course, technically, uh, very much is possible. Um, but the question is um, if the farmer um, willing to really give that up because they are also uh, next to the economic factors, there are also emotional uh, factors, personal levels uh, that are involved in this decision-making process, uh, in, in the buying process. And uh, those personal factors um, remain part of our social interaction and that can't be digital so even if a lot is technical possible perhaps not everything has to be implemented right now and i guess it might be um working if we get a mixture out of that uh, we call about um here uh, cross-channel marketing uh, we have really a lot of marketing and sales channels that have to go hand in hand, that have to be uh, connected to each other, have to be um, yeah, like of, out of one color, so to speak, and uh, that will be a very good way. Only digital and only online, I guess, uh, will not work. And some personal contacts um, always very important, and I guess that will especially in agricultural uh, in agriculture um, yeah also be a future Alexis. I liked what you said about the personal touch being so important to humanity. I, I really agree with you and I think it raises this question of you know just because something is technically possible, you know maybe we should still ask ourselves why are we doing it is it really right. bringing an impact right and i and i know you you um are kind of touching on that with this point of you know it, it it's theoretically possible but should we do it right or or will it be done those are still two very different things right. um I agree with you. It'll be very interesting to see how the kind of e-commerce space evolves in the next couple of years. 
um, uh, yeah, like you said, digitalization isn't uh, going to stay away. I mean, it's coming to agriculture. It's here. Um, but what format it will take on. And, and I think I would like to see it go into a direction where digitalization works with the humans hand in yes, hand. Exactly. Um, so it has to go hand in hand. I guess digitalization uh, offers uh, huge benefits. Uh, you know, you can be more effective, you can save money, you can save time. Uh, if the software is right and I also did some research on smart and precision farming and there's always uh, or there were always the outcome like um, owning or having a digital application on farm is completely different to really be able to um, operate it in the right way that it will bring me uh, advantages in time in terms of costs and time savings. Um, so here we have to work on competence. Um, we have to uh, go for training, digital trainings with agricultural um, yeah, workers, with uh, farmers, with gardeners, with foresters, uh, that they are really trained to deal with those digital solutions in the right way to get the full uh, benefit out of it. Amazing. And I'm, I'm assuming some of that is what you're doing today. Uh, let's go into the present day. So uh, we'd love to unpack more about, about what you do and what you're doing today in the German agricultural space. But maybe before we get into that, what does the Landwirtschaftskammer NRV, uh, Chamber of Agriculture for everyone who's not German speaking, <laughs> what do you guys do? What's your purpose? Yeah, well, the Chamber of Agriculture is made in North Rhine-Westphalia is an agricultural self-governance as for about 33.6 thousand agricultural, horticultural and forestry farms and their employees. It uh, also carries out a sovereign task for the Ministry of Agriculture of the state of Northern Spain. Um, yeah, well, we have about 1,600 uh, employees within certain district offices um, and the main task, um, of course, the overall task is support farmers, gardeners, foresters um, and strengths in rural areas. Uh, and we do that by training. Uh, for instance, we have 7,700 7, apprenticeships um, in 13 agricultural professions. Wow. Uh, technical colleges uh, for agricultural with about 900 students. Um, another huge part is uh, the consulting, so advising farms on all aspects of economic um, uh, aspects of improving productivity, animal welfare, marketing, uh, environmental compatibility and all those uh, questions. And then we have the funding part, so the approval, the disbursement and auditing of proper um, use of EU, uh, EU uh, federal or state uh, funds, like uh, the inspection under the Plant Protection Act or the inspection under the fertilizer or um, audience. We also do seed certifications in that direction. And the consulting um, is really 
uh, along the whole uh, chain of agricultural topics like sustainable soil management, animal welfare, um, then, then uh, farm services. Uh, we also have um, the uh, renewable uh, resources and all that stuff. So it's really like um, full range of tap topics we can cover and we have a huge team that covers all those questions uh, and can support farms by um, yeah, going on with the farming business. We also have some institutions, um, some uh, central institutions where we have experimental and training centers um, for agriculture, like Haus Düsse, Haus Busweg. It's like a farm, a practicing farm, where we also can test and try out some um yeah new stuffs or um also feed stuff and all that's that kind of topics uh we have a horticultural center in cologne uh the technical colleges i also mentioned and well it's as you see it's a broad range of yeah. topics we can cover and uh yeah always uh for supporting um all the farming businesses in north Westphalia and of course also around if necessary thank you for pulling those facts for us because i i think it's you know and we're speaking to a global audience today i think to put it in perspective so north Rhine westphalia is one state in the country of germany and if i understood correctly there's thirty-three thousand farmers, horticulturalists, members in just this one state of Germany alone that you are right. representing, working with, offering yeah, programs exactly. to. Yeah, we should just let that number sit for a second because I think it shows how much of an agrarian country Germany has behind all of the things that probably the global audience associates Germany with, which is fast cars, Autobahn, <laughs> <laughs> made in Germany, right? Um, there are a lot of humans in this country uh, working in agriculture that, uh, you know, have multi-generational businesses. I mean, you might even shed some light. I mean, what, how many generations are some of these businesses that you, that you work with or are, are, are in your area? How many generations on a farm? On know? average, like, is it three generations or four generations? Uh, yeah, at least it depends on, but uh, three is of course possible. And uh, some, at some stage also maybe more. Um, but uh, if I look out of my window, uh, there are three generations on the farm next wow. door. Wow. Living under one roof. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's incredible. And I think, um, no, I just really wanted to emphasize those numbers because, you know, it's not every country in the world is set up like that and has these support systems either for their um, farmers and for their communities, agricultural communities. So, yeah, again, thank, thank you for highlighting that and for pulling those facts. So what about you? What are your roles and responsibilities? Yeah, well, um, I'm at uh, the Chamber of Agriculture as an innovation manager. So it's really like uh, a new job, uh, a new position that was um, yeah, created from scratch uh, exactly one year ago. Um, the relevance uh, of um, yeah, new innovative uh, production methods, business models, uh, processing techniques for uh, food, 
and uh, of course the non-food business as well. And sales and marketing channels have been recognized um, by the Chamber of Agriculture and this is why my position uh, now exists. Um, and I'm really like uh, the interface between agriculture, between research and development and um, yeah, the startup scene. So I can say um, I have a very, very extremely exciting day. Um, no day is, uh, is, is the same, every day is different, um, especially in the food industry. There um, yeah, lots of innovations. And I would say I have three um, or four main tasks. Um, the first um, is the identification of fields of innovation. So what is new? Uh, where are the trends? What is going on in the market? Uh, what's about um, agri-food uh, innovations? Um, this belongs to food innovations as well as non-food innovations, for instance, if we can uh, use some material, some um, yeah, a product out of the agriculture industry for packaging industry, for instance, or for constructing industry. So see also where is um, the non-food industry and where needs the non-food industry um, some inputs. Um, the other um, field of my, my work is networking network matters um, so it's key when we are talking about innovation that we are talking to each other uh, who knows what and who is doing what uh, mm -hmm. if we have a new topic it's always important to to look around to talk to someone um, yeah getting all the information together and then the third uh, task is uh, the innovation transfer so getting to know about innovative concept is very important for producers. Um, so I try to give inspiration. Uh, I want to talk about innovations. Uh, farmers get inspired um, and make and build up new products, new business models. And of course, uh, the, the fourth task is uh, really as a team uh, of the Chamber of Agriculture, we are supporting the firms by getting started. So what are the first steps when I go into this new field? What do I have to uh, remember or the regulations I need? Um, how can I get my idea, my idea um, yeah, be implemented? How can I get it running? And that is what we as a Chamber of Agriculture can support as a whole team from different angel, angels um, yeah, and with our broad field of topics that we cover. And well, it's really like um, when I talk about innovation in agriculture, I'm always really like fascinated because there's so much innovative power and we have farms that are interested. And if we are going into a new field, it's always helpful to be um, not alone because you have your daily business still running and you need someone who is doing the market research, who is talking to researchers, who is connecting those players. You know, um, I'm really like the interface for um, farms who want to get into new topics. 
um, and I'm the interface LAN to all the relevant players um, to get really started and to get um, yeah, the idea running. That sounds like a dream role. I mean, it sounds so exciting to identify opportunities, network, plug, plug some of these gaps or identify opportunities and connect opportunities to transfer knowledge, to learn from people. Um, you're definitely a person, I think, that anyone in Germany or even globally should keep in their network because you're working with these different businesses on the ground, if I understood correctly, right, to actually make some of these impacts happen uh, in this innovation space, um, if I kind of can summarize it. I think that that's a pretty good summary. Um, so what are some of the challenges you're seeing? Because you work like I said, pretty closely with these different businesses. What are some of the challenges you're seeing your producers in your network face at the moment? Oh, well, um, actually, of course, the weather is always uh, a factor. Um, we had uh, a wet August, uh, so harvesting time was a bit struggling, um, but that just uh, as a side uh, factor, um, I guess, um, some of our producers really are looking for perspectives. So they have a lack, lack of uh, prospects um, for expansion or for keeping um, livestock, especially pig farming. Um, we have hardly any new um, yeah, chats or uh, pixies uh, built. Farmers are willing to realize animal welfare uh, standards by converting their, their, their uh, pixies, but it's often uh, not that easy in terms of licensing, um, the regulations and all that stuff. Um, they are, farmers in Germany sometimes feel a bit like uh, being a placing of policy and society. Um, because um, new requirements, legally required conversion concepts um, cannot or can just partly be fulfilled. Uh, and they are coming up very um, regularly. Um, and the main problem is um, the uncertainty and the lack of planning security uh, or planning uh, certainty because will the pixie i built uh, today still be in compliance uh, with the law tomorrow mm -hmm. and um, here it's always hard to handle uh, this question and that's uh, what some farmers are lacking now so this uh, planning certainty um, another factor is what we see in Northern Westphalia as well in Germany as a total, the, um, the number of livestock, so of pigs and cattle are going, uh, are going to decline, mm -hmm. they're going down. Um, so we have, this is, there are some reasons for that. One reason is of course the decline in meat consumption. Um, less than uh, four kilo uh, compared from 2002 to 2001. And for uh, wow. pig um, or for pork, it was um, seven kilos, uh, seven kilos, uh, it was less from 2002 to 2000, in, uh, sorry, 
now I'm a bit confused, within the last uh, five years, from 2017 to 2022, um, pork consumption went down by 7 kgs. So wow. uh, that is uh, a lot. Um, so if the people are not going for meat and pork anymore, of course, um, the animal numbers are declining. Um, difficult is also the export of uh, meat um, because, of course, the, the animal numbers are going down. Um, and of course, some restrictions from importing countries like China. Um, we had the African swine fever here in Germany as well, um, that was also causing some troubles. Um, other yeah, concerns are regarding um, high energy costs. They are higher than in neighboring countries, lack of labor. So who really wants to work in a pig tree uh, or in a cow shed? Um, another topic is always the financing of projects uh, under the requirements of uh, the European Green Deal. Um, so if um, someone is willing to, to change something, how can we get uh, the financing for that? Um, and as we also mentioned or already mentioned in agriculture, whole families are involved um, to it and farmers put their heart and soul into it and they fight to really keep the farm and they are under pressure to the generation conflict because they don't want to be the generation who have to give up the farm in the end and so they are fighting until it's really you know yeah. until the later so to speak um and yeah and some of them also have no successor so that mm -hmm. might always be uh, also be a problem so a full range of topics that are concerning farms um, but I guess some of them really are looking uh, for those innovative concepts now and looking for alternatives um, to uh, get more into diversification, you know, uh, building not one main um, farming type, maybe go as well to a different or building two or three, um, yeah focuses on the farm um yeah well that's well th thank you for listing that out what you're describing i think is a great case study for what i see the complexities i see farmers facing all over the world it's not just germany i mean what you just said one business one family business with you know love and passion and dedication to their industry to their job is having to deal with things like, and I listed it out while you were speaking, the swine flu, uh, legislation changes, right? Uh, labor issues, uh, economic dynamics. So, you know, like you said, the input costs increasing, um, yeah. you know, financial viability and demand decrease. I mean, this is a really complex storm all the while they're taking care of thousands of animals sometimes. Uh, and, you know, and having to pay those bills and keep them alive and well and healthy. And I just think it's a great case study to show how much stress I think our food supply chain is under on a 
you know, personal level, even it's, it's not easy nowadays to be in agriculture. And I used to speak to, to farmers uh, in the States who, you know, don't have five or 10 generation businesses, maybe just one or two, but even they would say in their lifetime, they have seen an increase in difficulty in farming. They would say, you know, back in you know, 30, 40 years ago, when I started, uh, I could just spray and do, and the market would take, and it all kind of worked out at the end of the day. Now it's like, they look at their balance sheets and they say, well, why, why is it no longer working out? Um, so I think it's really clever and I, I'll applaud the chamber of agriculture to open a role like this, that you're filling the innovation role, because I think the industry does need a beacon of light. I think they need to know, you know, there's, um, there's some, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's things we're doing to, to be innovative, to make sure that there's, uh, opportunities for you despite all these challenges. Um, so yeah, maybe could you just highlight what are some concrete things you're doing to combat some of these challenges? Um, yeah, well, how I support the producers uh, is, of course, um, as I mentioned, the overview of fields of innovation. So when a producer is interested in the topic and the field of innovation, uh, I jump in and do some research, market analysis, um, the networking as well. Um, what here, if we want to pick out some topics, um, yeah. then it's really like, um, yeah, we have the insect farming uh, business, which is also one of my topic. Um, yeah, really like uh, since the first day I'm here as an innovation manager. So how do farmers succeed in getting into insect farming? Um, we also have an event on that. The second event on insect farming will take place in November this year. Um, so we are dealing with this topic um, from wow. different angels. Um, and that, then bioeconomy and circular economy. So how can agricultural byproducts be put uh, to novel use? Mm -hmm. How can we put that into the circle again? and get value out of it, get value for the farms out of it. Uh, as I mentioned, if we can take some byproducts um, for um, the housing industry or for the packaging industry, for um, example, the, um, yeah, the, the byproducts of asparagus. You know, if you eat asparagus, um, there are always some byproducts that you can use. Um, right. For the floor, for instance, someone is creating a very modern type of floor out of it. Um, or you can uh, take hemp for construction issues and uh, for packaging. And of course, alternative proteins um, beside um, insects, there are um, algae, insects, uh, I mentioned already, uh, duckweed is also very yeah, broadly discussed now, or is there some research on that? Um, and there's always a question of the role of agriculture within those um, structures and concepts. We have planned uh, fermentation cell and insect-based products. Um, so we have the, a huge trend in Germany, uh, veganism. So people who are um, just eating plant-based products. Um, so therefore we need to push uh, legumes. 
Um, mm -hmm. And legumes not just for as a feedstuff. Um, and we need to, uh, to to bring it into human consumption. And uh, of course, also cell-based uh, products, um, cultivated meat. Uh, that is also a very interesting question of the future. We see how that will develop. Uh, in Germany, I guess it will be slow, more slowly developing compared to, to other countries because of restrictions, novel food restrictions and all that stuff. Um, but here's also the question, which part, which role will agriculture uh, take on in this uh, field? And yeah, is this a business model for agriculture as well in the future? I don't know. We will see how it will work. Really, really interesting topics. Um, the one that sticks with me is the insect farming. And I, and I mentioned this also with a new kind of uh, context. So I was in the States uh, uh, visiting some family and I kind of mentioned this whole topic that's happening in the European Union about insects and insect farming and insect use and, you know, how the European Union just um, pretty recently uh, um, regulated uh, or allowed for insects to be used for human consumption. You know, talking to you, you've mentioned now re, you know, refurbishing some of these um existing agricultural businesses to include insect farming. Uh, my family and, you know, these are not agri experts, but that might just pe average people, right? Uh, they had no idea. They had never, this isn't a concept there yet. Um, you know, the way that we're talking here in Europe about literally reinventing our food systems, which will ultimately have an impact on what is available on food shelves, i.e. on what we eat, um, you know, reinventing it in the direction of insects wasn't even on their radar yet. So I think, again, looking at an international audience, the fact that we have someone here from the Chamber of Agriculture who's actually looking at the numbers, the science, the research behind what commercial insect farming could look like is really, really fascinating. Um, could you just, I don't want to get into it too deeply, but, you know, could you just shed some light on what your findings are in this sector? I mean, what, where do you, where is this industry going? What are their goals? What is, what are we trying to do with the insect farming space? Yeah, well, um, firsthand, we need to clarify that insect farming is um, more, um, the, the purpose is more on uh, providing high, high proteins to uh, the pet food industry and to aquaculture. Um, so like uh, replacing uh, fish meal and replacing a soybean meal. Um, this is really the, the main um, market for insect uh, products. And uh, after that, it's also going into uh, feedstuff for um, pigs and for uh, poultry. Um, but the smaller percentage is going into our human consumption. Uh, so we are really talking in agricultural context more for, uh, about those farms who are going to produce um, insects for aquaculture and uh, the pet food industry mainly. 
And here we are going to figure out how concepts can be developed um, or there are some companies that have already developed some concepts for agricultural um, yeah, businesses uh, to jump into this field of insects. And now we as a Chamber of Agriculture and also all the other research institutes uh, have to, to put um, some light on all the open questions. So regarding how to keep those insects, regarding feeding those insects uh, properly, because you want to have um, uh, the same quality over time. So you have to, to feed them uh, in the same way. Um, the housing techniques um, and in Germany, it's also um, a huge topic, um, the construction of the building requirements. Um, so is it allowed to build it as agricultural uh, or um, do I have it as a normal business, so to speak? Um, so there are questions uh, that need to be clarified and um, the insects or the insects are like um, livestock, like a cattle, like a dairy, like a poultry. So they are nearly, they are the same. And the regulations for feeding uh, livestock are all the same. So we have to keep that also in mind. And um, yeah, there is a huge um, amount of questions that have to be clarified um, before really going into it. And of course, uh, farmers are interested in um, those answers. Uh, when they're going to uh, really jump into the field of insects. And we try to uh, bring some light into the darkness and um, bring together people who are more into those insect business and can um, yeah, answer us some questions. So that's why we are um, organizing an event in November um introduce some farmers who are interested in insect farming to get clarified one of the first questions and getting um yeah into contact and talking about how it might work and uh if it's really a market uh where they can earn money that's in the end it's all exactly. about um making some money you can't do uh, a huge investment into um, the housing, it will be a huge investment if you go into that. Uh, so you right. have to make sure you get something out of it. And of course, uh, there are many factors that are influencing those deci decisions. And uh, we are still working on clarifying some of those um, uncertainties. And it's an unknown market uh, as exactly. of now, right? So yeah, um, while you were speaking, I, I just I have, I have to ask, so how are insects harvested? Is it like a vacuum? Is it a, maybe it's a silly question, but I keep thinking, I'm trying to visualize this new world because I haven't ever seen a commercial insect farm where bugs are flying around and, and then, uh, yeah. Yeah, we are mostly talking about uh, the larvae. Um, okay. So they are not flying around. Um, oh. And then you like, um, separate them from their um, excrements um, okay. and then you really like um, how do you say that in English seed? yeah like you strain them yeah yeah just you strain them, them. 
and um, then you have them separated and then there are several killing techniques so to speak you can put them into hot water so you boil them and you can uh, heat them you can mash them um, so there are different ways of or you can freeze them is also an opportunity you like deactivating them um, yeah but because they are not flying around uh, so we are talking about larvae um, that is, makes harvesting much easier yeah you completely just changed my vision because i was thinking like farmers would be stepping into like an apiary you know like with bees or something that kind of thing with a whole suit and yeah. it's a new world you know the imagination can go wild <laughs> yeah of course uh, but it's here we are talking about the systems that are available on the market and nearly fully automated or at least hardly automated so mm -hmm. um the work uh, load for the farmer is in, in most cases comparably low um, okay. in, compared to the amount of uh, output so to speak um, but of course if you have a highly automated production site you have a high investment yes yep very very interesting and i will um i, I you know maybe there'll be some content released from your november um session on this because i think i would like to do some more research this is a whole new space that course, I, a whole new yeah whole new territory that's widely untouched um yeah it's from, for us also a very new territory and we uh, also get uh, or you need to get used to it or you get into it um there as, as i mentioned there are not all questions um yeah answered yet so uh, we nearly work on it and we are um, yeah, talking to too many people to to get to it. Yeah, no, re really cool. So, I, you know, and, and I know we're getting kind of to the end of our conversation today, but I thought you'd maybe still share, you know, you, you, insects and these things, you know, we're talking about a lot of trends, just kind of summarizing what are some trends you see in Germany specifically within the agri space and it doesn't have to be even just things that you work on i mean high level factors that are shifting the german agriculture industry yeah i guess um very um yeah obvious is the food trends in germany so that we are uh, have a reduction in uh, meat and pork consumption or in meat in total um and um a focus more on plant-based um food alternatives um we have plant-based milk alternatives plant-based cheese alternatives and also it's uh, stuff so uh, really like a veganism um plant-based um yeah um food sustainability is a big big global topic um mm -hmm. climate uh, change biodiversity uh, is are these are also topics in germany uh, very on the top greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture um are of course um one topic here we talk about um reduction of um yeah greenhouse gas emissions um, and how can the or how need agriculture to be transformed 
to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. We talk about reduction of animals, of cattle, of poultry, of um, pork as well, or pigs. Um, we see that in Ireland, for instance, or as well in the Netherlands or in France, uh, talking about reducing um, berries, for instance. Carbon farming is a huge topic. Mm. So um, trading with uh, humus certificates. Um, how can we um, yeah, get um, the, the humus um, part higher? and then trading those uh, CO2 uh, certificates. Um, yeah. That is a huge topic. Um, and of course, as I mentioned, alternative uh, proteins, um, fermentation is a huge topic. We need to feed um, 9.7 billion people in 2015, if I have the number right in my mind. So uh, there are huge topics. Um, yeah. I really, some of these topics are, I'm really glad you mentioned them and, and I, it makes me want to have you on for another podcast because I think there's so many more cool topics happening out there. Um, and it's going to transform the way, you know, we eat, the way agriculture functions. And I would really encourage our audience to keep an eye on some of the innovation happening out of Germany because, you know, the European Union historically has pioneered a lot of change globally and, um, you know, a lot of the research and, and kind of trends are also really founded and, and in research. Um, and, you know, you, you talked about this. We have apprenticeship programs here. We have huge amounts of universities that are offering programs to do research in these different fields. So, you know, I, I kind of just I'll leave the kind of audience from my side with the message that, you know, look in, look into the German market, see what people are doing in the food and agri space, what topics they're researching, because it's usually on the forefronts of where a lot of the change is going to happen. And I think you today have really um, highlighted that for me, you know, the Chamber of Agriculture has an innovation role and some of the projects you're working on are extremely indicative of how ready the German agriculture scene is to make changes where necessary. Um, and I think that's that's huge, um, especially for a country that's known to be quite stubborn. <laughs> so um, wrapping it up a bit. So, you know, again, you've had a great career. You've done so much in this industry. Is there any kind of advice you'd give someone wanting to follow a similar career path? Because I'm sure there's some listeners out there who maybe also come from a family farm and you know, want to pursue higher education. Um, yeah, is there any kind of shout outs or words of advice for those people? Well, um, I would say never give up. Give up. Um, yes, you can. Uh, so that was my motivation to go on. And um, the perspective matters. Uh, and it's all, it always matters. So uh, whether in my private, scientific or professional uh, way, uh, my perspective changes uh, where the key to success. So whenever I got stuck, I tried to look at things from a different angel um, and bam, I was back on track. You know, like yeah. um, what I would would like to, to give you as a please stay open for, for people, for ideas, for concepts um, around you. And in between, uh, you try to see the world through to uh, through different glasses and yeah 
please talk to each other uh, because socializing and networking matters. So always be like open for, for someone for different perspective and angels and go for it. I love that. And I think it's, it's really keen advice. In fact, I had someone on um, recently who also said, you know, she wishes that the agriculture industry would just speak more, network more, be open, exactly what you said. So you're reinforcing this message that, you know, podcast, this podcast hopefully is achieving that, but that people should just be human, right? Like, and talk to each other and, and, and build genuine relationships and be open to learn. All right. Very last question. Any final words you'd like to share with the audience before we go? Yeah, well, uh, agriculture is a very innovative field, and I guess we can all be happy to be yeah, part of it and uh, benefit from our networks. And we as a Chamber of Agriculture bring a very huge network. Um, and so just uh, benefit from it, be part of it, contact me, and uh, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to your concepts, innovations, and hopefully we... Yeah, create the agriculture of tomorrow together. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dorothy. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, thank you uh, very much for inviting me. Uh, it was also a pleasure to me to talk to you, to talk to everyone. Um, hopefully my English was okay <laughs> to listen. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to keeping contact. Um, and yeah, well, looking forward to it. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by Tridge, the leading global intelligence and networking platform for agriculture. Visit us at www.tridge.com to find out more.